Our scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 4. The Apostle Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stephanie, uh, if you don't know Stephanie, we are thrilled to have her. She is a great friend of mine and of the congregation. Um, she has tremendous amount of wisdom, and we're thrilled to, to hear from you, Stephanie. So thank you. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Is it okay to say bring cash? <laughs> okay, here's the thing about the mask when you have earrings. <laughs> it always just ends up right there. I uh, am always so thrilled to be here. I forgot to ask Matt. Matt is 6'3", 6'4", sorry. And his, he had the podium built to his height. <laughs> so I always feel like I'm a little low here, but... Uh, I, um, I think I've shared in the past that I did not have the privilege or the pleasure of being raised in the Christian faith. My family, um, my family, wonderful family, I, I think if we had a faith system, it was really probably more about a respect for tradition than it was an actual faith. We would occasionally go to my grandparents' Greek Orthodox Church uh, only when grandma was edgy because we hadn't been there. And, but really the one thing that we would consistently do would be to go to the midnight service on Greek Easter. And um, that was really, our family would go and we would, uh, grandpa would go and he would light the candle, his candle, and he would come back and he would light all the candles of everybody in the family. And it really was more of an issue in our family of a tradition and a respect for tradition and a celebration of our family. But when I became a Christian as a university student, I not only stepped into a new faith, a, a new relationship of faith, but I really stepped into a new community and a new culture. And I don't know if you're like me that you, maybe you came into faith a little bit later, but it was really quite, it was an interesting, <laughs> it was an interesting new culture to step into. Is that okay for me to say? I mean, a lot of you are raised in, in the faith, uh, but I remember a lot of things that I stepped into that I didn't really understand um, that just seemed so normal. In my church, it was very normal that people called each other brother and sister. Now, I just thought everybody was related. I, I'm just, you know, I, I, you know, well, brother Matt. I, I was like, well, that is amazing. Their whole family comes here, you know. And I, I, re I do remember years later getting a letter from the, like, the state leader of our fellowship. Uh, the, the letter literally said, "Dear brother Stephanie," and I was like, "I'm finally in," you know. And um, I also remember 
being in prayer meetings and, you know, we'd it'd be usually like young adults and, you know, they'd go around the circle, you know, what do you want prayer for? And someone would say, you know, I've got a test or, you know, pray for my mom. And then inevitably somebody would, would, would say, um, unspoken. And, and I don't know if you've been raised, Nancy's laughing because it sounds like you've been in this, but you know, unspoken. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I don't know who that is. But, and then there would be a couple others who would be like unspoken. I'm like, they're all praying for this unspoken. You know, I, I, and I never understood what was really going on in there. I also, and I hope I can say this, I, I may have shared this before, I didn't understand why people sang so much. I had never sung so much in my entire life. I mean, everywhere we went, we just sang, you know? We started every meeting with song, and I was like, my my whole family, literally all growing up, we sang happy birthday, but nobody sang any other thing. And then I had all these friends who were like, their whole family sang. I'm like, what are you, a Von Trapp? I don't understand what's happening. You guys just sing all the time. And even today, we come in, and and probably, probably almost nobody questioned the fact that we started with three songs. But I just, everywhere I went, I was like, do they do that in business meetings? I mean, where else do you just start everything in song? And I remember starting to understand maybe the why behind the what of worship. But I remember it it became really clear to me. Something came to life, and maybe I'm just too concrete of a thinker. But I remember one day, years ago, probably 10, 11 years ago, do you guys remember when the 33 men, uh, the Chilean miners, got stuck underneath? They, they, They were trapped underneath the earth. And um, for, I think it was something like 69 days, these 33 men were, were in the bowels of the earth. And, and it took a while. It took about 17 days before there was any confirmation of their life. I know there were people above ground trying to find them. In fact, at one point, they sent something down. They sent down a video camera to, to a place where they thought the miners would be to see if they were there. There was no sign of life. They hadn't found them. But it took 17 days before there was even any sense of, of a confirmation of life. And I think there was something around day 30 or in the early 30s when they, the, the people above were finally able to determine and communicate, we have found you and we're on our way to get you. We have found you and we're coming to rescue you. From what I've seen and what I've heard, and you can look it up, it's really kind of cool to see it on YouTube, when the, when the Chilean miners who were in the bowels of the earth finally found out that their rescuers were coming, they began to sing. They began to sing their anthem. The natural expression of the joy of being rescued, that their rescue was near, was that they began to sing their anthem. The anticipation of their freedom, the anticipation, dare I say, of their new life. They began to sing. With the anticipation of rescue and the hope of freedom comes joy. And I think that's why we worship. Our worship is our anthem of who our God is. Similarly, friends, I never heard the Christmas story. I, I think until I was an adult, I'm not sure I had ever even heard the term Advent. I, I, you know, we, when we would have Christmas growing up, I mean, our families, again, big celebration, lots of family traditions. But I think outside of hearing Linus preach the gospel on Charlie Brown, I don't think I had ever heard the Christmas story. I know a lot of you, and I love it, like you will read the Christmas story as a family. We just, we never did. And, and I really, I genuinely think the only way I heard of the Christmas story was through Charlie Brown's Christmas. So, so even Advent has been a relatively new expression of life and faith for me. 
A lot of the churches I went to prior to just before I moved here, for some reason it was just never really honored or recognized or celebrated in their church calendar. So there were more years in my life when we did not pause to consider Advent and the coming of the King. But I'm particularly grateful to be a part of a community where we order our lives around this season and that, we're, and that reminds us that we wait expectantly, expectantly. Honestly, friends, if we didn't, I think I might be too tied to this world. I would probably be too tied to what's going on, the stresses of Christmas, rather than, rather than the expectancy of Advent. As a community, we together experience the season of waiting and hoping. And like Sherry said last week, Sherry, thank you so much for your message last week. I told her before I was able to watch it online. I was out of town, but I watched it this week. I wanna thank you um, for reminding us that this is not about passive waiting. This isn't about waiting. I mean, I, I'm with you when you said something about when you're told to wait. I mean, even my mom, I am not known as the most patient person. My mom one day told me, you are not very patient. And moms are supposed to see the best in you, you know, or at least lie or something. I don't know. But, but you reminded us that this is not about a passive waiting, but a waiting expectantly. And, and you brought up something. I'm going to revisit one part of the, the Nowen quote. I, pretty much anything that seems profound, if I don't know who said it, it was probably Nowen. But I do want to come back to that one part of the quote that you said that uh, when you quoted Nowen, if we wait in the conviction that a seed has been planted and that something has already begun, it changes the way we wait. I would imagine that the way the miners waited when they waited in the earth changed when they knew something had happened. Imagine day 30 for them when they don't know if they're gonna be found. And then they're told, we're coming for you. How different did they wait? How different was their waiting when they knew that something had begun? So the question I ask for myself is how do I, how do I personally, how do I wait in the midst of the unknown? How do I make, wait in the midst of the unexpected? How do I wait in the midst of the uncomfortable? And how do we wait? How do we wait when every story at the top of the news is bad news? How do we wait when we're waiting for the other side of something to happen? Advent reminds us that we can wait with hope, peace, joy, and love. A, a pastor, a contemporary pastor named Glenn Packiam, I think his name is, said this, he said, in Advent, the church stands between two proclamations. God has come, and come Lord Jesus. He said, the first grounds our confidence that the second will be answered. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus shape our hope in the return, reign, and renewal to come. We live in between God has come and come Lord Jesus. And I love the mix of that. I love the fact that we live in this in-between time. I mean, we, we, we could have lived in the time where God had not yet come. I, I Personally, I think it's an incredible privilege that we live in this time, that God has come, that he is Emmanuel, that we do know what it's like to have God with us, even as we wait with the come Lord Jesus on our lips. We somehow live in the mix of this moment of history. He is with us, and he will return to make all things good, to make all things right again. So this week, we consider joy. And, and my question is, how does it form us as followers of Christ to be reminded that we wait in joy? And what a gift we could offer the world to be people of joy.
So I want to revisit the passage that, uh, that Matt, Matt uh, read earlier in Philippians. I'm going to revisit that, then we're going to dig in a little bit. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reason- reasonableness or your gentleness or graciousness, it could be stated, let your re- reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'll be honest, when I was preparing for for today's message and reading through the lectionary and saw that this was the passage, I was honestly a little bit puzzled because I think this passage makes so much sense for peace. I mean, I don't know about you, I'm I'm really probably an Enneagram 6, and so like this is the life verse that I need to have to not be anxious for anything, because if an Enneagram 6 is anything, we struggle with anxiety and we're always trying to think ahead about all the things that could go wrong. And, and, and I feel like the Lord's a lot of times is like, I'll be anxious for nothing, but in everything pray. So this passage makes so much sense for me when it comes to peace, but I hadn't really thought of it in terms of joy. But I so appreciate how, I appreciate the tying together in this very passage of how joy and the peace that Sherry talked about last week. I, I appreciate how joy and peace are tied together. Again, Sherry, I'm just grateful that you opened your life to remind us, well, to show us, to to tell us how God had surrounded you with and in peace, and to remind us that peace is not tied to our circumstance. I think that is a fundamental message that I need to hear, that my peace is not tied to my circumstance. And I would say similarly that joy is not tied to our circumstance. And I think it's easy for me to live like it is. It's so easy for me to live like, I am joyful, I can be joyful, I can have joy when things are going really well. But our joy is not tied to our circumstance. Our joy, I would contend, and we'll talk more about this today, I I contend that our joy is tied not to our circumstance, but to a person who made a promise. Our joy is from the person of Jesus and the promise of his presence. Now, I know when I read this passage, it says be anxious for nothing. It talks about the worries and the concerns. I I do understand that the worries steal our peace and our joy, which is probably why they're tied together. And I am particularly glad that my joy, as I mentioned, it's not tied to our circumstances. How many of you guys went into 2020 with a 2020 vision, you know? I mean, like the last 24 months have have not had circumstantially been joyful. I I remember thinking 2020 is going to be amazing, right? And then we got to the end of, actually at the beginning of 2020, uh, when when they said, you know, everything's going to be, you know, stay-at-home order. And I remember saying, I might have actually said to Nanette, if this thing goes on more than two weeks, I'm going to lose it, (laughs) you know? And two weeks turned into a whole lot longer than that. But then we're coming into 2021, and we're all like, yeah, 2021 is going to be awesome because we're going to get 2020 behind us. And then it wasn't necessarily awesome, you know? It wasn't, it was like, oh, this is 2020 on repeat, you know? And um, I'm just so grateful that, my joy was not tied to the fact that 2021, you know, wasn't what I hoped it would be. And the call here, if I'm reading correctly from Paul, is to rejoice. In fact, Paul says it twice because he knows how quickly we forget. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again. (laughs) Rejoice, you know. It's like a parent, you know, here, 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 you know. You soap, you soap. I mean, sometimes the repetition is helpful for us because we so easily forget. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Let me say it again, rejoice. To rejoice is to be glad, or if you'd go to the root of it, to delight in God's grace. To find our delight in God's grace. It says, rejoice. Why? The Lord is at hand. For a lot of years, I read in the NIV version, NIV translation, and it says the Lord is near. So I think because it said the Lord is near, I always assumed that that was an issue of proximity. The word actually could be in terms of place or in terms of time. So the Lord is near isn't just the Lord is near. He is Emmanuel. He is with us. Yes, that is true. But he's near in that he is, he's, he's coming. He's close. He's got something intended for us. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. It does speak of place, but it also speaks of time. Rejoice, because the Lord is coming to make things right again soon, which is good, good news. So if you'll, if you'll grant me just a moment to uh, offer the new Stephanie version, is that okay today? Uh, be glad in the Lord always. Let me say it again, be glad. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your graciousness be known to everyone which is easier to do when you're glad. The Lord is near. He's with us and he's coming for us to make all things good again. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. Ask the Lord with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to him, which will make you glad. And the peace of God, which isn't tied to your circumstances and is far beyond your understanding, will guard and protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have wondered, I've been thinking this week, how can this passage be superimposed over my life and my circumstances? As I think about the circumstances of my life and things that I I do face that maybe you face as well, it could be something along the lines of, man, this season at work is harder than I expected, but I can be glad because the Lord is near. Wow, Lord, I'm concerned about somebody I love and their health but I can be glad because you invite me to bring what I'm anxious about to you. If this is the promise of God, then I know I can live in peace and joy. How does Philippians 4 come to life in your circumstances? Because friends, I really think in a lot of ways this is a partnership with God. It's interesting how Paul says rejoice rejoice, come back to joy, be reminded of joy. And I was thinking about this, I think I even mentioned it during the prayer time before we started this morning. It's, it's really kind of my job to rejoice. God can't do for me what I need to do. I, I need to be reminded of joy. But then I can't do what only God can do. So I can choose joy. I can live gratefully, which helps nurture joy. But God's got to be the one to fill my heart with joy. I can't, I can't do the work of God. I can't fill my heart with joy. I need him to restore the joy of my salvation, but I can rejoice in the midst of hard circumstances. And I think that's the beauty of, of this partnership with God is he, he does invite us to step into some things and then he does what only he can do. I want to give you one, one final thought. It's, it's not a short thought. <laughs> it's a preacher thing. In conclusion, which means nothing, um, but one last idea... <laughs> before we close for today. And if I could be so bold as to give you a little homework, smile at me, yeah? Or at least ask you to to spend some time with a couple verses this week. I, I really think that as we slow down and enter into God's promises, I really do think that helps nurture joy in our lives. 
So I'm going to give you a couple, couple thoughts I have on something just to sit with this week. Because I've been re- reflecting on joy in scripture. In fact, I, you know, just preparing this message, just thinking through all the places front to back that, that the scriptures talk about joy. I, I think it's very hard to negate the promise of joy when you consider that front to back, God talks about joy in his scriptures. And I was gonna say, I don't know how some people can be so joyless, and I actually, I really do, but I, I don't know how, you, how people can be so joyless in the faith when we see how much joy, how much God talks about joy, promises joy, expresses joy in his word. In fact, Paul, who wrote this, this passage that we, that we read today, I, I think it's seven times in the very small book of Philippians, seven different times, Paul talks about joy. And, and the context, if we remember, he's like writing from a Roman prison. <laughs> I mean, talk about circumstances, you know? I mean, he's like writing from an ancient prison in Rome. Talk, joy, 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 joy. And oh, by the way, rejoice. If in his circumstances he can find joy, <laughs> I could probably find joy in my very comfortable world here. It would be hard to be joyless if we really entered in. And we know how joy changes us as well. Have you ever had a hard time where you're really wrestling through something, maybe with your family, maybe at work, and you're just kind of, you're, it's just a, it's a hard situation, and then someone says something extremely funny, and then you just lose it. I mean, you laugh until you cry. I mean, you're sitting there, and you're just like, it's just one of those moments where in the midst of it, it's just like a little bright light in the midst of a dark room, and you just laugh and laugh. You laugh until you cry, and then you're thinking, okay, we, we, you know, we kind of, after that moment of just levity and laughter, you just think, I feel like I got a little more gas in the tank. We can keep going now, you know? And, and I've had those moments where you just, you're really just wrestling through something, and then something so delightful happens that, that, make you, that makes you laugh, and then you think, I can do this. We can keep going on. And I realize in those moments, my circumstances didn't change, but I did. My circumstance didn't change, but I found what God promises as the joy of the Lord as my strength the joy of the Lord that strengthened me to keep going on in, in this moment. And so there's a, there are a couple verses that I want to present to you to consider uh, this week in the busyness of this season, uh, which is in some ways unfortunate, the busyness of this season. There's a passage that says, uh, you make known to me, in Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When it says there, you will fill me with joy in your presence, that word there for presence is really a rich word. It's used something like 2,100 times in, in the Old Testament. It's a word that, that is often translated as it is there as presence, but we also recognize it when it says in, in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the earth. That's the same word, the surface or some translations say face of the earth. It's the same word when Adam and Eve sinned against God and it says they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. It's the same word in the the blessing of numbers that says may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That word there for presence is often translated face. There's something about the face. How many of you have little children, and when you're busy and you're a little kid, I've seen this, little kids sitting on your lap facing you, and you're doing this and you're doing that, and little hands all of a sudden take your face and point your face to theirs. They just want your face. 
I don't have kids, so I don't get to preach a lot of kids' stories, but I do have a dog who's entitled, and um, <laughs> the little prince. And I, I'm serious, there are days I come home, I am busy, I am distracted, I'm in my laptop, and it sounds so crazy, but I'll be sitting there, and, and he just gets to a point, he's done. He's had my presence, but he hadn't had my face. And I'm on, I'm on my laptop, and I feel these little paws right here relentlessly on me, and he will not stop until I turn my face to him. I, I, I don't want to discount or dishonor the presence. I, you guys know what I mean with this. But you can be in the room with somebody and not have their face. You can be in the room with somebody and not have their attention. Yeah, you're here, but there's something about when they turn their face toward you. I think sometimes we need to think of God this way. He is with us, but I don't want to just be like, yeah, he's in the room somewhere. When, when that passage says, you will fill me with joy in your presence, it could just as easily be translated, you will fill me with the joy in your face. There's something about the face. There's something about knowing the face. And so that passage, Psalm 16, and another one, it says, for you make him, in Psalm 21, verse 6, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your face. Friends, if I could ask you to sit with a couple verses this week and just think about the fact that as we are in the presence of God, God is with us. There is a joy to God's face over us. I, I think there are too many folks in the church who when they think about God, they think about God with a furrowed brow and a disappointed look on, their face, on his face because you just haven't done enough. But maybe God knew what he was doing when he said, in your presence is fullness of joy, in God's face is fullness of joy. There's just something about knowing that, you, that God sees us with delight. I don't know about you, but I, if I know I'm being delighted in, a whole lot easier to delight back. <laughs> it's a little hard to delight in someone who I think is constantly mad at me or disappointed because I don't measure up. It's true, I don't measure up. That's just the fact. I'm so glad the face of Jesus is real. So, and, and, and he, he, because of Jesus, I have the smile of God toward me. You make me known, you make known to me the path of life in your presence, in your face, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our joy, friends, is in a person and in a promise. My confession to you as we wrap up that there are times there are times I live, like my, um, I live like my faith is in a belief system. Sometimes I think it's easy for me to live like my faith is in Christianity. But my faith is in a person who made a promise. My faith is in a person who made a promise. My faith is in a person who has a name and a face. I don't understand how that works now, but I know when he walked on earth, he had a face. My faith is in a person who walked on earth and he drew people close to him who were rejected. He touched people who nobody else would touch. He wept with his friends. He healed and he forgave. Our joy is in a person who fills us with joy. And as we celebrate Advent, I would contend he is worth waiting for. Let's pray. Gracious God, we rejoice. We are grateful and we are glad to be yours. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with joy today. I pray like the, like the psalmist prayed, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Help us to wait differently because we wait for you and you have made a promise. And I wanna pray that again, help us to wait differently 
because we wait for you and you have made a promise. And God, I echo the words that we prayed earlier. Give us faith to live joyfully, sustained by your promises as we eagerly await the day when they will be fulfilled for all the world to see through the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. And Father, thank you for speaking to us this morning through your servant, Stephanie. I'm so grateful for the voices in our congregation that I can sit under their instruction. Um, I was thinking, sitting over there, both last week with Sherry, your words, and this week with Stephanie, the nourishment and comfort that I have found in your words, but also the course correction that I've found in your words. And with that in mind, both nourishment and comfort uh, and correction, we approach the table of our Lord today, a place where we find an expression of that mercy, a place that we also find this drawing into alignment with his kingdom. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to say a prayer for us as we begin to make our way to the table. And as we do, we'll create two lines down these center aisles. You can uh, come to the front. There will be somebody here uh, that will speak the words over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can take the elements on your own and return to your seat. But let's say a prayer as we approach the table of our Lord today. <clears throat> O Lord and Heavenly Father, according to the institution of your dearly beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we, your humble servants, celebrate and make here before you with these holy gifts the memorial your Son commanded us to make, remembering his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and his promise his promise to come again. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your word that the bread and the cup that we share today would become to us and for us the body and blood of, your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who on the night he was betrayed took bread and the cup and blessed them. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We welcome you, risen Christ. And we remember how on the night you were betrayed, you took the cup. And when you had given thanks, you gave it to your disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Jesus, may we see and know your grace in the bread and cup today. 
Amen. Would you join me at the table of our Lord?